Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Spirit, we honor you. We are so thankful for what you're doing in our hearts. We're so grateful that we get to be here, that we get to be a part of this, this move that you're forming, this family that you're forging. Father, I ask that you would come, you would speak. Holy Spirit, speak, interpret, release the word communicate it the way that you want to be communicated communicate the heart of the father this morning to show us to overcome every obstacle that we would have to overcome every resistance that we would have lord that we can finally be formed as a family one honor you holy spirit thank you amen thank you jansen Thank you so much, Pastor Casey. It's always an honor. This is, a, this is a very strange place to speak. I can't see anybody except for if you're wearing white on the first two rows. Other than that, it's just me and you. <laughs> and, and Missy's got stripes, so she pops in every now and then. But when Pastor Casey asked me to form something on community, I actually told him no. I said, no, I'm good. And then I went home and the Holy Spirit rebuked me. Has that ever happened to you? Holy Spirit rebuke you? It happens to me just about every day. I get rebuked all the time. Holy Spirit, my wife, if they partner well, we can get me to heaven. It's really falling on the two of them at this point. So I called him back and said, okay, I got this. You know, the, the Lord spoke to me this, you know, title, The Devotion of Community. Now, I was resistant to speaking about community because it's a real churchy thing. You know, it sounds like a churchy thing to me. And I don't know about you. I grew up in old school church that hurt everybody, right? You didn't get hurt if you didn't go to church. If you went to church, everybody getting hurt. So I was resistant. I don't want nothing to do with church. Somebody talked to me one time about planting a church. I'm like, whoa, what would that even look like, right? I don't want to do nothing about church. I just want to get together with the people I love and go after Jesus, right? Love people, love Jesus, all that church stuff. I don't want nothing to do. It's, it's funny that the Lord would send us up here to be part of a church plant, given my heart for church. <laughs> Pastor Casey can tell you, we travel all over there talking about church and switching things around church, and I'm just like, why can't we just go after Jesus? Why can't we just do what we just did, have somebody preach us into a fervor, and not worry about all this nonsense that church brings. Because church people, let me tell you, are the worst. No, I mean, I'm serious. Jesus, Jesus would agree with me. He had some famous sermons like, you know, white tomb, dead men's bones. Or uh, wicked and perverse generation. Right? One of my favorites was pit of vipers. That's a, that was a strong one. You know, and those were all to the church, right? We hear wicked and perverse generation. We're like, ooh, the world, yeah, they're terrible. No, he's preaching to the church. He's preaching to the church of the day. But one time I was asked to lead a, you know, a Sunday school. I don't know about you. I, I went to Sunday school growing up, and it was the most boring thing that I ever said in, mind-numbing experience. These publications, they come out, and 
this old person would sit and read from this sheet of paper, and we'd go into this, like, comatose experience. I said, nope, I will not teach a Sunday school class. This is my buddy. He's trying to stretch me when I was going to a church he was a youth pastor at. Will not teach a Sunday school class, but I will lead a prayer meeting. He's like, okay, but you got to teach something because the pastor thinks it's a Sunday school class. So we'd read a chapter out of, uh, I think it was Tommy Tenney, God's Prayers of God Chasers or something. And, you know, so we'd read a chapter and then we'd pray. We'd split up and we'd just pray because I'm not having this churchy thing. So when he started talking to me about community, I'm like, man, Lord, the devotion of community. I don't, now we want to build a fiery community. The Lord started showing me where there was community in my heart that I had overlooked. You know, my, my wife, when we got married, she told me, she said, I don't believe that you can live without community. I said, I've been doing good. <laughs> but then he began to show me that I had community I was unaware of. I think of them as family. And I believe that's where we're going, a fiery community that's forged in the fire that becomes a family. You know, my best friend, they would become my God family. Like, they're the family God gave you. It's like when Jesus was in the house and his mom and his brothers came knocking on the door saying, tell Jesus, come out here. He said, who is my mother and my brother? Those that do the will of my father. God has a family for you that regardless of what your biological situations look like, he wants to bring something into your life that will take you through the darkest times. Unfortunately, where family is forged is in the fire. And I'm not talking about the fire of prayer. I'm talking about the fire of life. Like when life really sucks, when you're walking through it. One of the most devastating nights of my life, the next morning I call Donnie, he's, his family, they're my family, they, they are, they're mine. We just went and had Thanksgiving with them, come back home, I ministered at his church a couple weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving. That was forged in the fire of my life. I called him up, my marriage was being, uh, I, we were getting divorced found out some situations going on. It was over. I called him. He came in. He sat down in my living room, and he just wept with me. He didn't have no churchy cliches. He didn't have anything to say. He just sat there, and he cried. It was a little awkward, two grown men sitting quiet in a room crying. A little awkward, but it began to forge something, and as things were being stripped away, God was giving. You didn't know you wanted this, but I have it for you. You know, we talk about things like the fourth man in the fire, and sometimes the fourth man in the fire is Jesus and your brother. But you got to let him into the fire. You got to take off the Superman cape. You got to lay down the shield and the sword and bring him into your situation because you're weak and you need strength. One of our biggest problems is that we're too strong for ourselves. To be able to stand. And tell our brother, our sister, listen, I'm dropping the ball as a husband. I'm dropping the ball as a wife. I'm dropping the ball as a parent. And I don't know what to do, and I'm out of my depth, and I'm drowning here. There's a level of vulnerability, right? We'll get there. You know what I mean. That you have to begin to step into to have community. So not this kind of like, you know, we're going to go to coffee community, and we're just going to talk about Alabama football, and then we're going to slap each other on the butt and go home. That's not going to change it. Now, I'm, I'm an Auburn fan, so I'm Tom's back there. He's an Alabama fan. Pastor Casey, Alabama fan. Go roll tide. They are winners. 
I told my wife a couple weeks ago, I said, I, I, sometimes I wish I could be an Alabama fan because it really sucks to be an Auburn fan. But can't change what's in you. I am. I am. I'm trying. I'm going to cry if I don't stop. But we don't want to let people into our situation, which is what we need because we have to have all of the the masks, right? We're all masked people. We have to have all of the, the presentation. I've even heard people, tell ministers say, you know what? You can't let people get too close. Because then they see and they won't be able to receive you. What they're really saying is people can't pass the test of familiarity. And you let them in your heart, you let them into your home, they're just going to start judging you. I've seen it. That's what the church does, but that's not what family does. Devotion to family. Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's the, how the first community was born. They were devoted to vo- those four things. Now, devotion is, a, is an interesting thing, and we really have to understand devotion before we can go on. Because my understanding of devotion was like my, you know, my younger years in the Lord, I'd get up, I'd read my little 365 daily devotion to have a little prayer to pray. Bam, done. Devotion. I'm devoted. Right? And I grew. And then there was an amazing man of God that told us about 30 30. He's like, pray for 30, for 30 minutes, read the Bible for 30 minutes. And then it's like, boom, I'm done. Because I'm like an accomplishment-driven person, right? You, you accomplish it, you mark it. So I might be devoted and never think about Jesus the rest of the day. I don't, think, I don't know that's what he's talking about. I did my devotion. I did my devotion. Accomplished it. Did it. That's not what devotion is talking about. Devotion in the Greek is proskartio. Proskartario. It means to attend constantly. To persist, to persevere in spite of hardship, to continue to do something with intense effort despite difficulty. So when he's saying they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking the bread, and prayer, it was an intense attending to constantly despite the hardships and the persecutions and the things that would happen. The struggle and the resistance to get through those things. The, the word breaks down, actually, two words. Pros means toward or interactively with. Carterio means to show of steadfast strength or prevailing strength. So what does it mean to be devoted? I am interactively toward you at all times. I am attending constantly to you, right? So when we're devoted to the Lord, we are, have our hearts turned toward him. Another word is pros. It means face-to-face, very similar word. We have our hearts and face turns towards him. We are attending to him at all times. We're devoted. We live a life of devotion. But we're not just devoted to the Lord. We are devoted to the apostles' teaching. And I'm not telling you to call him Apostle Casey. But where we came from, we basically had, you know, a five-fold layout of ministers. And I always thought of him as having the apostolic gift. And you'll see it in him as this grows and there's other hope unlimited as people being sent out, the things that are growing, planting, expanding. That's an apostolic gift. And you see it in his teachings because he's taking us back to the orthodoxy of the apostles, not the orthodoxy of America or Western evangelicalism. I'm using a lot of words that I can't pronounce very well this morning. 
He's not taking us back to the roots, right, of Western ministry and Western church. He's taking us back to the roots of what the apostles were preaching. And there's resistance in that because, you know, like, you know what the apostles preached? This is Jesus who you killed. You are stiff-necked and stubborn, right? That's what the apostles preached. His, his isn't quite so confrontational, right? It's just trying to get us over this idea that we're, you know, just waiting for the mark of the beast that's coming in the COVID vaccination. <laughs> are we devoted to the teachings? Are we attending constantly to the teachings that are being released in this house to see how can I align my life, my family, my spirit with what's being released? Because God brought you here if you're here. Listen, a week from now is when we got the word from the Lord that we were supposed to move to Knoxville. And then we were trying to get here, selling our house that won't sell, it's still for sale. I said, well, when the house sells, we'll move. And then we waited, waited, waited until the Lord said, I didn't tell you to wait for the house to sell. I just said, go. So as soon as quarantine opened, bam, we're gone because we didn't know if they're going to lock everything back down again. The world fell apart, right? If you're here, it's because the Lord brought you here to this family, to these teachings, and you have to press through the resistance in your flesh to the things that you don't like. Just like Jesus told Paul or Saul at the time, why do you kick against the pricks? Why are you kicking against what I'm trying to release to you? Yeah, I get it. We don't have like, you know, sermons that these amazing sermons like the four P's of prosperity. This flashy things that make us feel good. Listen, it's an intimidating thing to stand on this platform with Pastor Casey and Pastor Emily, Pastor Tom, Pastor Cole. Like, we've got some of the best communicators I've ever seen. Pastor Emily, she taught on community. He asked me to teach on community. I said, uh, I want to follow her. I've seen the most fruit come from a message from her than probably any message I've ever seen. People going, I mean, my wife, she had her whole thing. She had lunches and coffees and People come into the house, and I'm like, good Lord. I'm an introvert. I need a break. I need some time. I'm going to schedule these out. We have so much amazing teaching that comes out of this. Listen, we are one of the few churches that took a stand in the middle of all of this, uh, this nonsense that said we are anti-racist. And there's a whole lot of people that don't like that. But are we devoted to the apostles' teaching to identify everything in us that's not aligning to it? What about to the fellowship? Now, that should be an easy one, right? Devoted to fellowship. Seems like it'd be easy until you go to sit down with somebody you haven't never talked to before. And you're just like clunky, awkward. Maybe it's just me. I'm super awkward. My wife tells me I make things awkward. I do that on purpose because if everybody's awkward, then we're all in good company. But are you devoted to fellowship even when it hurts? Are you going to persist in a time with prevailing strength when you're getting something that you don't like? Listen, a couple weeks ago, we've had the best, the best year of our marriage has been in 2020. Right? We've had ups and downs before. You know, we've had some struggles. We've had some real close calls, primarily because of me. 
Because I was single. I was a single dad for 10 years. And uh, what nobody else's opinion that mattered in my house but mine, right? If you're the only one and you're just getting everybody through. And then you got a, a, a beautiful wife that comes in and starts messing with your stuff. <laughs> messing with your ways. Telling you, you might want to think different about this. And I'm, I've thought about this for a long time. I know I'm right. <laughs> I've had 40 years to think about this. Take a few more years yourself. You'll get around to where I'm at. <laughs> I'm just, these are things I usually keep on the inside. I joke, but when people come together, I don't care if, if you've been single for a long time and, and parenting, whatever, when people come together, there is a changing that has to occur in you for anything to work. A friend of mine shared something the other day. He said, marriage is as hard as you are selfish. And you know what you need in your life to help you get through? Family. That's going to sit down on your couch and shoot you straight. Give you the business. Because you're not giving yourself the business. You're giving yourself every excuse and justification to be who you are. And family gets you to be who God wants you to be. The fourth man. Here's how I tell you. You know... We, we, we've had an amazing year, but then a couple weeks ago, I got stuck in some stuff. You ever get stuck? We use words like triggered, whatever, just like past stuff. Just get I mean, I was stuck. I needed to get unstuck. Cole talked about that last week. I wish I had had his message when I was stuck. I, had, I couldn't get myself out. So you know what I did? I called family. Called Goldie. Goldie Candace come over and they sit down on my couch. You know what she told me? Stephen, you're selfish. You're prideful and you're arrogant. You need to get over yourself because you are being careless with the gift God gave you. I said, yes, ma'am. She didn't use that Oreo method, you know. Jesus' Oreo method where you say something good, then you say, say the bad thing, then you say something good like, well done. That's why I got this. It says, bravo, Zulu. Well done. Like, well done. But this is where you really stink. But if you quit knocking that stuff off, then you're going to get a reward, right? You need somebody that's going to come down. Do you persist through hearing things you don't want to hear about you? Listen, we all got friends that we call it an echo chamber. going to tell you, what, yeah, he's so terrible. He's so bad. She's so bad. I can't believe your parents would treat you like that. All of the stuff that makes you feel good but doesn't make you grow. That's not real family. That's fake friends. That's not real community. We have to be vulnerable, get to a place, and receive it. Say, yes, ma'am, I received that. And you know what? Since then, we have been in a better place than we've ever been. Because we chose to receive some hard things. We could have stayed stuck. Kept, you know, we, some people tell you you can argue about the same thing in marriage for 40 years if you want to. You know, wrestle and struggle and be mad. And, or you can receive from the family God's given you that's going to look you in the eyes, brother, you need to knock it off. Sister, you need to get your crap together. You're acting crazy, and you need to knock it off. Devoted to the breaking of bread. I think it's interesting, you know, we have fellowship, we have breaking of bread. Why would they separate out the two? Why do, why do you separate fellowship, breaking? Most of the time when you think about fellowship, you think there's food involved. 
especially in South Church, right? Because we, we can't do drugs, we can't get drunk, but we can slam a buffet <laughs> or a potluck. Right? You just saw all the Thanksgiving pictures I saw. It's sinful. Breaking the bread. Why is that important? Because I've been set free more at a table than an altar. I've gotten more freedom sitting across a table from somebody, breaking bread with them, than I've ever got altar. Like, Lord, please deliver me so nobody has to know about this. God, just take it out so I don't have to worry about it no more while we still got everything covered. He said, no, I want you to sit down face-to-face with Tom, break bread with him, let him know, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm having to shift some things in my life as a parent. I'm having to shift some things in my life as a dad. Man, I'm discouraged. I need to be encouraged. I need help. I need somebody to help me up. Right? You have to be vulnerable to do that and persist through it. Listen, Proverbs 14.4, it says, where there are no oxen, The manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. What's that mean? Where there's no ox, it's not, where there's not an ox, there's no mess. Right, you ever have a, as a parent, you're a parent, and then you have the the non-parents come to your house that have all of the pretty Instagram? Right, and you feel like, man, I got to get this thing all cleaned up because all the, you know, the pretty Instagram influencers coming, they don't have kids they don't have an ox in the house. We got a little ox in the house. You can pack everything up, and literally, she starts throwing it over your shoulder. Right? Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But there's abundant crops through the strength of the ox. Listen, there is an abundant reward in family if you will lean into it. Sorry about that. If you will lean into it, there is an abundant reward. There's abundant fruit. Or you can stand back and hide in the shadows and keep your manger clean. While life falls apart. Because that's what family's meant for, to help gird you up and hold you up so life doesn't fall apart. Cole shared this last week, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. A lot of times we don't want to confess our sins, right? We're so religionized. We equate sin with wickedness and sin with sexual immorality and sin with whatever, but that's not what sin is. The root of the word sin just simply means, it's an archery term, it means missing the mark. It means there's a target that you have as a father, as a husband, as a child, as a son, as a student, whatever you are. There's a target, and you're not hitting the mark. And if you will come and you will confess to your brother, man, I'm not hitting the mark in this area of my life. I'm missing it. In my finances. I have not been stewarding my finances well. Now we're in a bad place because I'm missing the mark and I need your help. And you will be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous man avails much as it is working. It is powerful and strong. But you don't get that if you don't sit down in front of your brother and say, listen, buddy, I'm missing the mark. And I need help. The last one is devoted to prayer. 
devoted to prayer. Why do you have to be devoted? Why is it persisting and leaning in and attending to constantly? It's not just talking about when you're at home. Yes, praying when you're home. You know, Paul tells us pray without ceasing. Be in a spirit of prayer. You can't have it in a checklist like I had with my devotion. Bam, I hit my 30 minutes of prayer. I am good. Right? That only works as long as you are staying stuck in a lot of the bondage that you've been in. Because there's only so many times you can say, Lord, I'm sorry I won't do it again before you run out of things. All right, I don't, maybe that's not what your prayer life looks like. That's what mine looked like for a long time. Lord, I'm sorry I won't do it again. Until I got tired of apologizing for the same things. I'm like, Lord, you need to do something about this because I'm about to do it again. All right, just me? Okay. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm beat up. Right? Prayer begins coming into a thing where now I can stand with my brother. I can stand with my sister. I can be ever cease, not, not ceasing with prayer. I can be ever attending to prayer, persisting and, and strong and leaning into, toward, interactively with. There's some people in this room that need people to come around you and be interactively postured with you in prayer for some things. Listen, you need your brother and sister to be towards you interactively with you in prayer. And you have to persist through it because sometimes you don't see it. We've been praying for that stupid house to sell in Hamilton for a year now. We listed it on the, a, a year ago in December. Carrying two mortgages, carrying you know, $2,000 worth of extra bills that's just nothing happening with it. Persistent prayer. And I'm, tell, I'm calling Goldie. I'm saying, look, we need this thing to, to, to break, right? We need this thing to sell. I can't keep carrying this stuff all the time. And I have people that are standing with me in prayer that's going to see it through because they are prevailing and persisting with me. Those Saturday morning prayers, man. Listen, I didn't like prayer when it was just I'm at home saying I'm sorry all the time until I saw the power of prayer. And something came alive on the inside of me that said, I want to be known, not known by men, I don't care. I want to be known as a praying man. I want that to be, you know, sometimes you're known for something that you really aren't. You can be known as a praying man to others because you can give them a good shanalamahai, but... You know, that don't mean that you're praying. So I'm not talking about being known amongst men. I'm talking about being known. I'm talking about the things you know about yourself. That other people can try to, as Goldie tells me, blow smoke up your skirt, but you know. (laughs) Down in your Holy Ghost, that ain't true. That's not who I've been living. I want to be known in my Holy Ghost as a person, a man of prayer. What's that require? Prayer. See, when that first started, you know what I did? I got my prayer shawl because I watch all this charismatic stuff, and I'm like, man, they got it. So I got my prayer shawl. You know, I got a little prayer rug. I don't care how people are praying. I want all of the accoutrements, right? And I realized I got the books on prayer. I got the prayer beads. I'm going to take everybody's prayer things, and I'm going to use them because I'm going to be a man of prayer. But the problem was I wasn't praying. Because prayer was, like, really boring for me until I started gathering with the family to go after Jesus. Because there is a synergy in corporate prayer. Now, I don't, I'm not about the kind of prayer where we all gather in the same building and go our separate ways and pray. I know there's probably value to that in some way, but I can pray by myself at home. If we're going to come together, I want to move something. 
Like, if one puts 1,000 to flight and two puts 10,000 to flight, how many, we got some math majors in here, I'm sure, it puts all, how many does this make go into flight? Like, if we came together consistently every other Saturday, like we've been, asking to, been asked to do, and we came together and we began praying for our government and praying for our city and praying for the brokenness, would we actually see something begin to move? Are we devoted to it? Devoted to break through into something. Devoted to prayer. I'm going to leave you a couple things. It's interesting in the Old Testament, you know, Pastor Casey taught us that, you know, the Old Testament teach you love the Lord. New Testament teach you love your neighbor. And as you love your neighbor, you love the Lord. I find there's, a, a, there's an interesting similarity in that. Old Testament says devote yourself to the Lord. New Testament says devote yourself to each other. As we devote ourselves to each other, we become devoted to the Lord. Romans 12.10 in the Amplified. I'm going to read this and dance in. If there's going to be music or something, you can come up. Romans 12.10. Love is to be sincere and active. The real thing, without guile and hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Detest all ungodliness. Do not tolerate wickedness hold on tightly to what is good be devoted to one another with authentic brotherly affection as members of one family give preference to one another in honor never lagging behind in diligence a glow in the spirit enthusiastically serving the Lord constantly rejoicing in hope because of our confidence in Christ, steadfast and patient in distress, devoted to prayer, continually seeking wisdom, guidance, and strength. Contributing to the needs of God's people and pursuing the practice of hospitality. I do feel the well done of the Lord over this body that's becoming a family. But I imagine if you listen through, you probably would find there's also but this one thing you lack. And I don't know what that is for you. I just know what it is for me. But he says, if you overcome, I have a reward. Everything that he tells you to do, if you overcome, if you persist, there's a reward there for you. Nobody can make you be part of a family. Nobody can make you engage. But if you will, there's a reward. I'm just going to close in prayer. I know that we're doing our Christmas giving. Lord, I thank you for this family. I, I, I'm thankful that you picked us to be able to be here, part of this family. Thank you for the love and the embrace and the hospitality and the welcoming that we've had since we've come, Lord. So grateful that you are releasing something into our lives that we've never had before. Lord, I ask that you would begin to bond us together, constantly praying for one another, constantly attending to each other in fellowship and the breaking of bread, aligning ourselves to the teachings of our pastor. Lord, I thank you. I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Thank you for your blessing on our family.
on our family, our family that's being forged in the fire, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Tell Pastor Stephen, thank you for that. To highlight, to highlight everything he said, oh, I'll tell you this quick story. My wife, I guess, it was this past week or the week before, um, she was at uh, she was at this event with several of her friends, and there was a a person there um, who was, and and I, and I want to say this right. They were uh, at birth, they were assigned the gender of male. They were married and they had children, and now this person has um, become a transgender person, and now they identify as female. <clears throat> and I know you have thoughts about that, and that's fine, and, and I have thoughts about that as well. Uh, but she asked that people call her she, and so she was um, dressed as a female and had, you know, the makeup and, the, and all the things that, that come with female and uh, she um, met my wife and they were talking um, and you obviously get the question um, what do you and your husband do and she said well we're pastors and and then I can tell you 100% of the time what the next question is going to be when you're in that situation okay what do you think about people like me and so that's what she asked, okay, so what do you think about people like me? And my wife said, I believe that you're an image bearer of God. I believe you're created in his image. And I believe that he loves you and has a plan for your life. She began to weep. She's, you can call her he or she or whatever. I'm calling her she because that's what they asked me to call. She's what, close to 50 now and she said that is the first time in my life I've ever had a Christian talk to me that way her father's a pastor pastor her whole life she broke down weeping and began asking questions further about God what does God think about me it doesn't mean that everything that she's walking through that that's affirmed it's not what that means. But 50 years of sermons didn't fix it. Right? I know in that moment, the right religious response would be, you flip over the table and you stand up on a platform and you tell everybody they're going to hell with this, that, and the other, and all, the, all of the religious stuff so we can make ourselves feel like we're standing for truth. Right? So we can leave, regardless of the damage we did to the person, we still feel like we're right with God. 50 years of sermons didn't fix it. But somebody willing to sit down at a table and say, I don't know what you're going through, but God loves you and I love you. And as a Christian, as a Christian, there is always a place at our table for you. There's always a place. It doesn't mean we affirm it. It doesn't mean we agree. It doesn't mean we think it's right or that we think it. That's not the point. The point is the only chance 
of there being transformation is if you know there is a seat at this table for you. Now, I'm not sure when that became a radical statement, but it's a radical statement. We posted a clip uh, a couple of weeks ago of something I said in a sermon. I was saying that God is for all of us, even the ones that don't look like us, even the ones that don't believe in the same God that we believe in, even the ones that are not your skin color or from this country. God is still for all of us. And I had a minister reach out to me and say, you might need to take that down. People are going to start thinking. Thinking what? That we love people that are not like us? That we're not afraid of somebody because they're considered other? Take it down. If Jesus Christ, the Jesus of the Gospels, showed up in our churches today, we would not know what to do with him. He would offend every one of our sensibilities because he would be willing to love people that we're not willing to love. He would be willing to embrace people that we're not willing to embrace. You don't think that there were people, of course there were, there were people in the Bible that said when he was eating with prostitutes, does he not know who he's eating with? He knew precisely who he was eating with. That's why he was eating with them. Because that is the only way healing and transformation and deliverance can even start. A prostitute is washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. And they say if this man knew who this was, he would not be letting her her touch him. He knew exactly who she was. When Jesus preaches his sermon on the mount, the sermon that we all love to quote and hate to live, right? He comes down off of that mountain and a leper runs to him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now think about his first question. Lord, if you will, because the God that's been presented to me my entire life doesn't want to. But if you will, you can make me clean. Just like the the person that approached my wife. The God that I've heard the rest of my entire life cares nothing about me. But tell me about your vision of God. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus touches him and says, I will now be clean. It is in stark contrast to the God that that they created and that they pictured in the Old Testament. When he said, if you see a leper, you cast them out of your company. In the Old Testament, if somebody had leprosy, the, the unclean could not touch the clean or the unclean would make the clean unclean. But in the New Testament, when Jesus shows up, he's not afraid of the unclean touching the clean. He knows that if the clean touches the unclean, the unclean doesn't make the clean unclean. The clean makes the unclean clean. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds, oh, I will be clean. Can you imagine the reaction and the expression of everybody that watched that interaction? Oh, my God, does he not know that the Bible says? 
the Bible, the Hebrew, the Old Testament says that we're not supposed to do. I will now be clean. That's what community is. That's this vision of family. That no matter what you're going through, there is a place at the table for you. Single mom, there's a place at the divorced four times, there's a place at the table struggling with homosexuality or transgender or whatever the case. There is a place for you. The vulnerable, the hurting, the oppressed, there's a place for you. The strong and the power, there's a place for you. There's a place for all of us. I often wonder, you know, when the book of Acts happens, you read chapter two, the, the pastor, Pastor Stephen was reading, read chapter two, and the church explodes in a moment, just 5,000 people get born again. And the, the, a, a leadership mind thinks, how do we manage and organize all of this? Who you did not want leading the church on that day was Peter. Peter was a fisherman, not a business mind. He did not have an MBA from Harvard in organizational leadership. He actually ran a fishing business that went broke. So you have this explosion of fruit. Boom. You immediately start running. How, how do we disciple? How do we assimilate? How do we get them plugged in? What about our systems? What about our structure? What about what are, None of that. This is what we're going to do. We're going to live together. That's how you're going to get disciples. You're going to live together. That's how we're going to get disciples. What is our discipleship program here? We live together. I grew up in the era of youth ministry. I was a youth pastor for a long time. I grew up in the era of youth ministry where you had to have a discipleship program. You had to have it spelled out. It had to be a phenomenal discipleship program. Disciple, 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 disciple. And I quickly learned you will not disciple somebody that does not want to be discipled, no matter how good your program is. On the flip side of that, you will not keep somebody from being discipled that really wants to be discipled regardless of how pitiful your program is. They encountered the power of the Spirit, and now this is how we're going to grow and disciple that. We're going to live together as a family. This is what God's calling us to. Do you hear me, Hope Unlimited? That's God's word to us right now. Stand up on your feet. Actually, don't stand up on your feet. Stay right where you are because I forgot the offer. Amen? All right. I told you earlier about the Christmas offering and what that means to us and for all of our family watching online, what that means to us. I also want to say this, and I want to say this carefully because um, I, I mean to say this carefully. And I understand that when people can't make it because of COVID and, and challenges and being cautious, I completely understand that. There is not a shred of judgmentalism or anything about like that in me or in us toward those kinds of situations. But I never want us to believe that we can be the church disconnected. I never want us to believe that we can be the church and not live together in community face-to-face interaction, person-to-person, human-to-human. We have to have it, all right? Now, 
we're going to receive our Christmas offering. And if you'd like to give, there's a couple of different instructions that I need to give you for this offering. Number one, you can give online. You can go to the website, click on Hope Unlimited, click on Give. And then when you go to our giving page, you will have a scroll button. It says tithe and offering. Click on that. Scroll down to Christmas and just click Christmas. Or if you want to give through text give, this is very important. Text your amount and then put the word Christmas after your amount. All lowercase. Put your amount, a space, and then the word Christmas. And in our giving software, that will designate it that that is part of your Christmas gift. If you're giving through cash or through check, you can put on the envelope or you can put in the memo of the check that this is for Christmas. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your your family. You set the lonely, not in churches. You set the lonely in families. We thank you for this family. And we thank you for this Christmas season of what this means to us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And in this offering, this is our way of making a gesture, of making a declaration to you, to ourselves, and to the world around us. You are first. You are everything. You're everything. We love you. We honor you. This is for you. This is to you. Thank you is not nearly big enough. But with all of our hearts, we say thank you. We love you. And we honor you. And everybody said amen. Stand on your feet. Twenty twenty, the greatest year ever. We love you so much. Um, we're going to be doing some special things this month during our services, um, and so we want you to stay updated and connected with us through social media so visit our Facebook page, visit our Instagram page, we love you so much Open Limited we will see you back here next Sunday 10am, I'll be preaching we're going to have a word from God for you we're going to get together, we're going to go after God together Amen, we love you so much we'll see you next week Thank you for listening to this week's message, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.